Thank you for to, to Jennifer for leading us in worship, and thank you for our crew upstairs that is doing all all the the techno gizmos that I don't know how to work. Uh, we've been in this uh, sermon series, the times they are changing for a couple weeks now, um, looking at the blessings and the woes that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter six, and uh, it's been great. So so today we're going to look at. Um, the third blessing, the third woe. And this comes from um, uh, the second half of verses 21 and 25. So uh, in technical speak, that's 21b and 25b. Uh, we're just going to look at half of two verses today. So uh, it says this, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And then if you look down in verse 25, Jesus says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Thanks be to God for that very good word. So recently I started listening to this band out of uh, Sweden, of all places. Uh, they sing in English, so it works. Uh, and uh, they wrote this song called Yahtzee. And, and again, just like uh, last week, I actually want to start today's message with some, some song lyrics. Because uh, I think that a lot of you might be able to relate to this uh, with, with certain experiences in your life. It says this, uh, in a couple of weeks, your hair will fall to the ground. All that silver and blonde you saved for so long. And in a couple of months, we're going to walk through the doors. Inside the hospital walls, your verdict will fall. But for now, we just keep praying to a God we try to believe in. And there's a lot of people saying that it's all about positive thinking. So I make you drink your vitamins and we try to keep you laughing. Meditation helps. And have you ever felt two hands that practice healing? And then we cried. Want to ease your pain. But what can I say? Let's play a game. And we played Yahtzee all night long. When I heard those words in that song about prayer and positive thinking and vitamins and meditation and all that kind of stuff. It brought me back to some of my own uh, difficult and grieving moments in my own life, especially when my dad was in, was in the hospital, when well-intentioned people tried to help me escape my pain by offering solutions and answers and quick fixes. The words from the song, uh, they express this experience maybe with cancer or some other kind of disease, that you know, if you just do this or you just do that, maybe you won't die. We can be so uncomfortable with the pain of grief, okay, either to experience it ourselves or to see it in somebody else, that it becomes so tempting to offer some kind of way out, some kind of magic wand we can wave over it to make it go away. God is going to stop that person from dying, cure that disease, whatever it is. You just have to have enough faith. That's what we say a lot of times with the power of prayer. You know, uh, this, this idea that if you pray hard enough, if you just have enough faith, God will make it go away. There's this other thing that, that, that you know, sometimes we religious people might do, something that, you, that might be even worse. Uh, maybe you've heard someone say, uh, uh, someone's suffering, someone's tragedy. 
was happening to them because God was trying to teach them a lesson. Which of course sets you up for a trap, doesn't it? That if you can just stop misbehaving, be a good little Christian, God will let loose the vice grip on your life. God will release the cancer, whatever it is. And it's not just religious people who do this, these kinds of things. Uh, as the song lyrics said, you'll hear people say, oh, you know, it's all about positive thinking. You know, you just got to radiate positivity into the situation and uh, it'll blast it away. Or people will, you know, try to outsmart the doctors using the weapon of Google, right? Or people will, you know, as the song says, try to vitamin your way out of the problem. Or they'll find some kind of weird random healing arts thing on the internet. And it's all because in our culture, in our frail, kind of sinful human condition, we lack the courage to look tragedy right in the face and absorb the pain that we have to absorb. I know that so many heavy bricks were carried into this room this morning. Tragedies that you know mark your past. Things that uh, hard things that you've gone through in your journey. Anyone over the age of forty, uh, uh, but certainly many people under the age of forty have really been through some difficult things. And I'm sure that many of you, in the middle of those crises and tragedies, you had well-intentioned, loving people who tried to fix the grief. But really, their good intentions were not helpful. Maybe they even made things a little bit more disorienting or hurtful for you. So I want to say this this morning. Our good intentions to help grieving people sometimes can actually hurt grieving people. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. So, so what good news does Jesus have to help those who are grieving? That's my question for you. And how can uh, you and I help those who are grieving without hurting them in the process? That's my two questions for you this morning. What good news does Jesus have for those who grieve? And how do you help those who grieve? Well, Jesus lived in a world with much more grief in it than what an, than what an average person might experience today. Not all people, but, but your kind of average run-of-the-mill person. Uh, historians think that you know, something like 25% of babies died before their first birthday, that uh, as many as 50% of children died before they reached puberty in that, um, in that uh, day and age. Uh, you know, a lot more women died giving in, uh, in, in childbirth. A lot of men died. There was a lot more violence and warfare in that time. And so uh, Jesus was surrounded by grieving people. Just because uh, death and grief was uh, so much more common, that didn't make it hurt any less. I mean, people would lose a child and hurt for the rest of their life, just as they do today. Uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was killed as a young man. Uh, probably Jesus' father, Joseph, died as a young man. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, died right there in John chapter 11. Jesus was very well acquainted with grief and sorrow and tragedy. And Jesus saved a lot of people, didn't He? I mean, He really turned things around for a lot of people, helped them out. 
He healed a lot of people. He raised a lot of people from the dead. But Jesus didn't necessarily have a perfect track record. People still died around Jesus. And even the people he healed eventually died, right? So surrounded by people who carried these heavy bricks of grief and tragedy and sorrow within them, this is what Jesus said. Okay, This is what Jesus spoke into that pain and tragedy. He said, Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Jesus believed that in Him, in His life, His death, His resurrection, the kingdom of God was present on earth. That in Him, in His vulnerable, self-giving love on the cross, in His resurrection, when God vindicated His honor, the kingdom of God was and would grow like a mustard seed, okay? Like yeast in the dough, okay? Uh, All across the world, starting in Him. The kingdom of God was not going to flash across the sky and immediately materialize. It wasn't going to immediately fix everything. But instead, Jesus says, beginning in Him, you and I would live in two kingdoms, two ages of history at the same time. We live in the age of despair and in the age of hope. We live in the age of hunger and in the age of plenty. We live in the age of weeping and in the age of laughing. So for that reason, look at what Jesus does not say to those who grieve. He doesn't say, stop crying. Don't do that. That's not what He says. Jesus does not say, hey, let me fix it. And He doesn't offer pseudo-medical advice that He dug up on the internet. Jesus doesn't say that losing someone you love shouldn't be painful. You know, famously, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept, right? Right after His friend Lazarus died and right before He raised Him from the dead, Jesus wept. Instead, what Jesus says to them, what Jesus says to all of you who carry grief inside you, you are blessed. You will laugh. That's a very different thing. Jesus is announcing good news to you. He's speaking this good news into your life. That in Him, in His kingdom, you have the capacity to hold weeping and laughing at the same time. You can go out to lunch with friends and laugh and have a great time the whole time and then get in your car and cry the whole way home. It's okay. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Jesus is saying that in this both and age that you and I are living in, okay, caught between the tragedies that we experience and the kingdom of hope that is coming for us, we have to live with freedom and agility. Okay, agility is a good word for it. We have to take the energy of joy and the energy of sorrow as it catches us by surprise. We have to stand in the surf of the ocean. We have to let the waves of joy wash over us. And we have to let the waves of grief wash over us. You can't stop the waves. Don't try to do that. Don't ignore the waves. Don't ask God to stop 
the waves. Don't feel guilty for laughing. Don't feel guilty for weeping. Jesus is, is saying, you know, you're not you know, some kind of bad Christian or whatever for feeling whatever you are feeling. Jesus' invitation to you and to me is to stand in the surf, to weep and to laugh, to let whatever waves come, come and crash over you. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Do you want to imitate Jesus? Yes, you do. I hope. You are surrounded by so much grief and sorrow today. Every day. Everyone around you in your class or in your, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you know they're all like icebergs. They're all carrying a lot of things that you don't necessarily see. There's so much invisible tragedy and grief and sorrow all around us. So if you want to announce the good news of the kingdom of God with your life, in the way of Jesus, and you want to help people who are grieving, who are carrying those invisible icebergs of sorrow and tragedy within them, I want to give you a couple of uh, kind of guideposts to do that in the way of Jesus. The first thing that I want to invite you to do is this. Gently pray for someone's healing. When someone is facing cancer or some other kind of really terrible disease, don't do this thing where you pray uh, this thing about, you know, and God, we know that you hear, you hear our prayers and you will make all this better. Okay? Whatever the thing is. Don't do the thing where you're jerking God's arm around and trying to make God do stuff. Because guess what? There's no mystery in that. There's no transcendence in that. You're putting yourself in the driver's seat and, uh, and, and you're trying to tell God what to do. God doesn't, I don't think God responds very well to that. And much more importantly, those can be kind of cruel prayers to pray, can't they? I mean, you don't really know exactly what's going to happen. It's cruel to insist in prayer that God is definitely going to heal someone when you can't know that for sure. Because what happens when that person isn't healed? Now, whoever you prayed with is wrestling with grief and this tremendous kind of existential dilemma, you know, disorientation. You just piled something heavy on. So when you pray that God would heal somebody, pray gently. Of course, God can heal bodies. God can cure cancer, all the things. But we call it a miracle for a reason. It's a rare thing. And we don't really necessarily understand why or how it ever happens at all. But the truth is this, that people feel loved. They feel loved when you pray for someone's healing. So pray for someone's healing. Pray for someone's body. But pray for them gently. The second thing I invite you to, to think about is this. Fiercely pray for someone's spirit in the storm. When you face loss in your life, your faith in God is really the thing that pulls you through it, isn't it? It's your spirit, your heart, your soul that carries you through tragedy in your life. And what you need more than anything, what you need the most, is for the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and give you the strength and the grace and the courage to get through the season. 
When I lost my dad, I had to have some really hard conversations that I did not want to have. I had to do some things that I did not want to have to do. But a whole lot of people were holding me up in prayer, and it gave me the grace and the strength and the courage to say the things that had to be said, to do the things that had to be done in that very, very difficult time. So fiercely pray for someone's spirit in the storm. The third and the last thing is this. Bless instead of fix. What I mean is this. Jesus blessed those who were grieving and mourning and struggling. And He reminded them that a day was coming when they would also laugh. Jesus did not offer advice. That's what we modern Americans love to do, right? Oh, your mom's dying of that disease? Well, I heard about this vegetable in the Himalayas that will fix that. Um, oh, you had a miscarriage. How much you know, yellow five was in your breakfast that morning? Do not fix people. When someone is grieving, do not give unsolicited advice. Don't do it. Don't fix people in grief. And guess what? Trying to offer answers, like trying to explain to someone why God did something or whatever, that can be the same thing as fixing. I don't know what God is thinking. You don't know what God is thinking either. Instead, be like Jesus. Bless them. Bless them. Cook them some food. Write them a card. Tell them you love them. Give them a hug. Sit with them when that's what they need. Give them alone time when that's what they need. Let them suffer. Let them cry. Let them hurt. And when the timing is right, say what Jesus said. You will laugh. And let them laugh on the day of the funeral if that's what they need. Let them experience joy. Let them smile. Give that to them. Give that to them. Bless instead of fix. Look, there's a hospital like five blocks from here. And that hospital's job is to save people from dying, or at least to try. And thank God for that. Thank God for the sacred work that they do. But you and I, in God's beloved community, we have a different lane to drive in. We have a very, very, very important job to do that's different than what the hospital is doing. The way of Jesus is not to prevent death, but to bring faith and love right into the heart of it. And people desperately need that. That is what Jesus is calling you to do. That is what Jesus is inviting you into. That's a beautiful kingdom that you and I get to be a part of, a beautiful community that you and I get to be a part of, to step into the grief and pain that people are experiencing and just bring a little light into the room. A little faith, a little love, just, just mustard seeds of hope that Jesus is announcing into this hurting world that we live in. Let's go to a time of prayer together. Loving God, we are thankful today as we sit in a, in a room with, with people who have mourned and grieved and, and are perhaps even doing so this very moment. We are so thankful that Your kingdom of laughter, Your kingdom of hope, 
is coming, and indeed it is already here amongst us. We thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.